Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome back to the Pixelist. I'm Will, as always, that's Blake. And uh, today we're talking about Little Critical Role Campaign 3, Episode 13. Oh yeah. Ooh, baby. Unlucky number 13, I guess. I don't Yeah, and we we keep getting these out later and later. <laughs> yeah, that that's my bad. I've uh I was busy this past weekend and then we had Valentine's Day and then it was my girlfriend's birthday. So apologies for getting this out so late, but at least we're making it before yeah. episode 14 airs tomorrow. It'd be confusing, yeah, if this came out after tomorrow. So Yeah. <laughs> we're still, yeah, we're tentatively getting it out still before the next ones. So that's good. Yeah, and hopefully you know, moving forward, we'll be able to get back to usually Friday uploads, but we'll see. Right. I'm going out of town this weekend. So, oh, nice. Okay. So maybe, maybe next, maybe episode 15s will yeah, yeah. be my back dad's to normal. birthday. So that's, that's fair. Don't forget, uh, episode, I think, so let's say we have this one 14 episode. Oh, I think this is the last one of the month. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Because we're not doing the last week, right? Yeah, I guess so. Is there not? Yeah, I guess February's short, huh? Yeah. So maybe in lieu of episode 15, we'll do our video on our favorite fan theories, mm. which a lot's happening. So if you have a great theory, drop it in the comments, and we're going to do a video on some of our favorites and also share some of our own personal favorites. Uh, we're going to go hardcore Mephisto and just come up with zany ideas for what could be happening. So Yeah. I'm excited for that. So yeah, yeah. L let us know your, your, let us know multiple theories yeah. so we have something to talk about. But uh, yeah, speaking related of the theory, to D and D, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, preferably Critical Role, uh, the moon landing. Let's talk about. <laughs> but okay, speaking of the moon, I have I don't know if this episode is like an appropriate place to talk about it because really this entire episode was just the ball. Right. So, but I had some stuff kind of click for me that I want to like talk about. So I don't know if we should do it during this episode or maybe like even just do it in maybe. that video or just make you even make a completely separate video. But we could maybe after we do the recap, we can just jump into that and then talk about the episode or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That works too. And then, and then don't forget we're doing our Witcher video. <laughs> yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Should but, keep hyping it up. That's right. It's really disappointing, but <laughs> like season we'll two. So ah, we'll 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 see. Well, I mean, okay, we'll hold okay. that conversation. Um, I also did finally see Spider Man. I, I feel like it's too late to do a Spider Man video. It's like the <laughs> slow broke the slow poke meme. Yeah, uh, Pokemon. In about two months, but I finally saw it. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyway. we do. There's a few Marvel things that we like. I want to talk about that we haven't had a chance to yet. So maybe we could do like a like a catch-all video and kind of talk yeah. about like Hawkeye and Spider-Man. Yeah. And... Did you see Eternals? Yeah. Was that good? Oh, uh, it was okay. It was, I, I know a lot of people film. didn't like it, but I liked it for what it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, cool. All right. It's on Disney plus now. So you can, if yeah. you have that, you can just watch it. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about episode 13. And what we always like to do is do a little recap. You know, obviously episodes can be like four hours plus. And so you weren't able to catch the entire episode or you forgot maybe what happened. We do a very brief 20 minute recap 
And uh, we clip that out as its own YouTube video. It might be what you're watching right now. And if that's the case, we then do a full deep dive discussion on the episode. And you can find that down in the comments if you're watching just the recap. Uh, but my man, Will, I think you offered to take the first half today. Yeah, yeah. I will kick us off. Um, so yeah, without further ado, without further ado, we've got episode 13 of Critical Role. On and so we basically pick off pick up, excuse me, right where we left off last time, which is we've got, you know, Team Dorian and Team Estros arriving in these carriages to this ball. And uh so within Team Um Dorian's carriage, excuse me. They're basically just trying to figure out what their plan is going to be to make this ring swap. Because if you recall, they have like a magically enchanted ring that they are trying to get onto Armand's finger. That is a exact duplicate of a ring that he wears. So they're going back and forth on what they should do. They don't really land on anything concrete, but what they do land on is kind of their story, which is that, you know, Dorian is going as himself, Bronte. Um, Fern is going to be his plus one. And Orem and Imogen are going to be their servants. Yeah, which, uh, there's so much great just commentary around Laura Bailey being the servant and Maud. It's like you're cool not being the date, right? So <laughs> anyway, uh, so then in Team Estros's carriage, they're kind of going over what their plan is, and you know, trying to figure out who the members of the quorum are. And you know, Estros is basically just giving them the lay of the land again. And FCG asks, you know, if stuff does like hit the fan like Estrosh, what do you bring to the table and he lets them know that he is not skilled in like the arcane but he is martially capable so he's more of a fighter um but he does let them know that hey your weapons and all your things like they're gonna take that at the door so like don't bring anything in and you know leave your like fcg leave your backpack in the car yada 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 um so because of this uh Laudna puts one of Chetney's chisels in her hair to try to sneak in a weapon. And then Chetney puts another chisel of his inside of FCG because, you know, he's got this like, right. you know, void in the middle of him. Um, See, a bag of, uh, what is it? Bag of holding. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, that would be cool if they could like enchant him to yeah. literally be one. Anyway, so they arrive and Team Dorian is the first one to kind of arrive and get checked in. Um, Orem does manage to get his shield inside and he also sneaks a dagger taped to the inside of his thigh in and he successfully gets away with that. Uh, and Dorian manages to talk the guards into letting him go in with this decremental or decorative sword. Um, I think he rolls like a deception check or a persuasion check. And he's like, you know, it's never even been used. It's just purely for my outfit. And yeah. so they allow him to take that in as well. It's, well, it's the gambler's blade. Oh, correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's put like gems and stuff on it to make it seem ornamental or whatever. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot it was uh, Bertrand's yeah. sword. Yeah. Um, so then Team Estros checks in and uh, Estros does manage to get his his staff in. He kind of is playing it up as a walking stick, you know, that he needs as an old man. And uh, they also introduce FCG as kind of uh, Estros's like personal servant, which Estros is kind of uncomfortable with, but... He's like, I can't wait to get you some drinks. And he's just really playing it up. Um, so the group gets in. Oh, and no one else in Team Estros tries to get in any weapons. They all just leave it all behind. Um, so then we get to like the announcer who is going to announce the people as they enter. So we know we've been waiting to see if this is maybe where they try out a group name. But uh, unfortunately, 
uh, for Team Torian, they just announce him as his name, uh, Bronte, second son of the Silken Squall. And a few people turn their heads to kind of look when they enter. Um, but then Estros enters, and, you know, he's just introduced as himself as well. And then a bunch of heads turn and look, because as we know, Estros is kind of a recluse, and a lot of people are surprised to see him attending this event. So anyway, everyone's inside kind of looking around and a few people stick out to them immediately. Um, they notice uh, Ella Lumas, who is accompanied by Oshad Bregio, and Ashton notices Gianna Hexum. Uh, so one of the first things FCG does is cast Detect Magic and kind of wheels around the room really quick. And he notices that the whole room is aglow, like everyone is carrying magical items, you know, jewelry, and it's just a lot of people came prepared or at least came to show off um, their wealth. Uh, so he's doing that. Uh, meanwhile, Imogen reaches out to Orem and lets him know that I've never been in a group of this many people. Like I may need help if like the voices get too much. And Orem says, hey, no, no worries. I have experience getting people out of rough situations. Consider it done if that's what you need. And, you know, she's like, OK, awesome. Thank you. Uh, and around this time, the announcer speaks up and introduces General Ratanish, which hopefully I'm saying that right, uh, who is the leader of the Paragon's Call. And he is accompanied by a group of like five or six really like rough looking soldiers, as it were, that, you know, basically did the bare minimum to be presentable yeah. for this event. <laughs> but they're like wearing their leathers and you can tell that these are soldiers. Um, and uh, Ratanish himself is a half giant who appears to be in his 40s, we're told. So the party's, you know, getting going here and everybody starts to mingle to see what they can find out. And um, Armand Treshi is also announced around this time. And he is accompanied by a half-elven woman in her 20s. But as soon as they come in and are announced together, they basically immediately part ways and go mingle in different areas. So the party's, you know, sitting around trying to see what they should do first. And this old, older male goblin approaches the Estros in that group. And introduces himself as Headmaster Grease Alacritos, again, hopefully that pronunciation is okay, um, of the Allegiance of Allsight. And he's like, hey, I'm an introvert too. I could tell you're kind of not comfortable with these events. So I figured, you know, we could come kind of bond because I'm the same way. <laughs> and um, he, like I said, he introduced himself and he's like, I'm here with a friend, uh, Ajit Dayal. And that immediately perks up Chetney, who uh, is familiar with that name. And he's like, oh, and Chetney immediately introduces himself as CC Pop and is trying to set up an introduction um, with Ajit for Estros so that, you know, Chetney can get in with him as well. And Grease says, uh, yeah, I'll try to set that up. You know, he's currently, you know, making the rounds, speaking with other people. And um, around this time, FCG shows up with drinks for everyone and... Per usual, uh, Grease is like, whoa, talking automaton, like, tell me more. Um, but Laden and them have also arrived and they're like, okay, Headmaster Grease, like, what What do you do? And he reveals that he's like, studies histories and he's based it on Corel. And so Laden says, oh, we're going to the Hartmore. Like, can you tell us anything about that? And he says, unfortunately, I've never been. This is actually my first time, Trujusar. And so they continue to make uh, small talk and FCG offers to go get more drinks for everyone. And uh, Ashton tells FCG, hey, while you're doing that, keep an eye on Armand Treshi's date. Like something weird is going on there. 
And he says, okay. And as FGG goes around, he decides to cast Detect Good and Evil just to see if anything pings. And Ladna is the only thing that does pinging as undead from that spell. Alrighty. Meanwhile, back with Team Dorian. (laughs) Uh, Dorian is approached by Lord Preston Drodalon, who introduces himself and, you know, says he's a self-made man who made his fortune in Asilra as Lord of the Quadroads. And Travis immediately perks up at this and... This is something Blake and I'll talk about once we get into the discussion. Um, but pretty fun little cameo here. Um, anyway, so they get to talking and Dorian asks Preston about Armand. And Preston says, you know, Armand is the black sheep of his family. So he's always working really hard to justify himself. And Imogen pipes in and is like, well, who else should we be like paying attention to at this party? And uh, Preston points out Gavis, who is, you know, the ninth public member of the quorum you know he's a good person to to get to know basically um meanwhile orum with a super high perception check has spotted dorian's brother cyrus is present at this party and he's currently talking to um armand's date and so they're like say again i think it was imeth imoth yeah yeah and so they're like what's going on here um and around this time, a glass clings and Gavis is actually taking the stage and is preparing to speak. And he thanks everyone for coming and making Drusar great. And, you know, typical political type of speech here. Yeah. Somebody calls out from the crowd and is like, you know, what's going on with these attacks? Like, what's the quorum doing about it? And he's like, you know, all that's being considered. Don't worry about it. But like, now is not the time. If you want to talk to me and thus the quorum, like, come find me in private. We're at a party right now. And, um basically again thanks everybody toast to the city and then music begins to play um so after this ashton has decided you know what i gotta go see what's going on with uh armand's date and so he walks over there and sees that she's like sitting alone in a chair and he tries to make small talk with her to see if like what he can glean but uh talison rolls really poorly and so she eventually just gets up and walks away from him um and so while all these things are happening like simultaneously, by the way, so back with Dorian, he and Fern have decided what they're going to do to get Armand's attention to hopefully swap this ring out is do like a fancy dance that, you know, Fern is familiar with back from her time at the court. And Dorian's like, oh, I haven't done that in forever, but, you know, just show me the moves and we'll do it. So they're doing that. And Imogen relays this telepathically to fcg and is like can you help them out so he casts enhance ability on them increasing their charisma to hopefully make their dance better um again as all this is going on gavis actually approaches and is like blown away at fcg once again being like whoa whose automaton is this like i'll pay like come claim him i'm blown away by this and so because of that dorian and fern kind of introduce themselves and he can immediately tell that they are like not from around here uh, because they don't know who he is. And mm-hmm. um, they ask about the Paragon's call. And he says that, you know, they're here due to safety concerns in the city. Like they're at the ball to keep an eye on things. And um, he explains that the dance of the crossroads is about to happen, uh, which Fern's like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that. And what that essentially is, is, you know, it's people like, just. Apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I thought like, you were new. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that you basically, it's a big dance. People just keep switching partners and it's a great way to break the ice and kind of make new political connections and new friends and everything. And uh, basically after he explains that, he's like, I'm bored of you and just walks away to go talk to other people. Um, and so Orum during this has walked over to Chetney 
and basically fills him in on the fact that Cyrus is here. And he tells Chetney, like, hey, go take care of this. Like, get him out of here. Uh, this is it's too dangerous for him to be here. Um, and so Chetney's like, OK, I'm on it. And um, as he goes off to do that, the band begins to play and they are starting the dance of the crossroads. And that's actually where we go to break. Um, so if you want to take it from there. Yeah, sure. Um, the second half of this episode can be summarized as um, everything goes bad and everyone rolls less than 10. <laughs> so yeah. they're just uh, so it gets a little confusing because there's so many things happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And on the same token, everyone, everything they're trying to do is requiring an additional roll and they're always rolling really bad. Um, and Matt actually did not. Um, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So the dance starts and Dorian and Fern are beginning their plan of trying to get to Armand to maybe get the ring slipped off him. And Imogen is also thinking about using her telekinetic powers to slip the ring off. Now, they practiced this in the the little wagon as they were arriving. And Matt pretty clearly kind of inferred like, hey, this, this would be really clunky to try to pull off someone. Yeah. And I almost felt it was kind of like a DM like tip, like may not be the best way to do it but in typical fashion they do it anyway and so (laughs) um what ends up happening is fern is dancing with preston who's uh, just totally infatuated with her and is inviting her to you know anytime you're in eos you need to come visit you need to come see me and fern actually notices that his clothing is actually at closer look like this up close is actually a bit tattered and you you get the sense of actually someone who is a bit washed up and is actually kind of portraying themselves as just a noblest, uh, luxurious type of person. And um, Fern actually feels kind of sorry for him and lets him down easy and says, you know, I don't think you're my type, uh, but he is still just, you know, completely infatuated with her. Yeah. Um, uh, she gets spun over and cuts in to um, Dancing with Armand. And instantly she introduces herself as being from the Feywild. And I think it's Imogen who does detect thoughts. And he is just really put off by her. Like, because he, he knows the Night King, the Nightmare King, and knows he's from the, the Feywild as well. So he's like, is this someone working with the Nightmare King? What's going on? Why, you know, I'm just so sick of these people. Like, what's, <laughs> just very distraught about it. Well, they kind of have this sort of cat and mouse conversation where they're being coy with one another. And then um, she actually asks who she should be speaking to. And he points over to Gavis. And as he's doing that, he twirls her and she uses that moment to pop on the ring and actually does it so forcefully that it actually like, there's like almost like a pop, like a not dislocating, but like a, an audible pop of his thumb. Yeah. yeah, pops uh, where the off ring, the ring. So. Yeah. Where it goes off his thumb and onto the floor. And he's like, seriously? Um, and it's just like, what is your problem? Yeah. Well, Fern kicks the ring, uh, so that it, you know, tink, 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 like goes, you know, off into the crowd. And then, um, it becomes very frantic all of a sudden. So Orem is like, I have the fake ring and he's like walking over to be like, hi, I think you dropped this. And Imogen screaming at him being like, pick up the ring, pick up the ring, pick up the ring. And he's like, I have the ring. I have the ring. And yeah. they're, they're just not on the same page. Like yeah. she wants him to get the real ring, but he's like, it doesn't, that ring doesn't matter. Cause yeah, I have like this pretend one. You're picking it up type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So finally he shuts her out of his head <laughs> and then, um, basically arrives to try to give it to him. But Armand is, is kind of like, 
he rolls really poorly. And so Mon's like, who is this idiot? I don't have time for you. And begins like walking off, looking for the ring. Um, this shenanigan continues for a little bit where even Orem walks by and is like, Hey, I think I saw your ring over there. And again, Armand is, is kind of like, uh, and actually he, he has a minotaur sidekick that he basically looks at and says, keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. So, um, long story short, um, uh, it's actually FCG who actually picks up the real ring eventually while Imogen is kind of pretending as like the servant to be like, I'm looking for it. I'm trying to find it. And what ends up happening is Dorian ends up throwing the ring over the crowd <laughs> into Fern's hand. This is like the worst possible plan ever. <laughs> and then Fern is like, I think you dropped this. <laughs> and Armand is kind of like, you know, just pissed off and is yeah. like, you know, what, what a bunch of weirdos puts the ring, the fake ring on thinking that it's been retrieved and goes back about his business. Um, so they've successfully got the ring on him. Meanwhile, um, Ashton had picked up that Imoth or Imoth, I can't remember how to say her name, was sort of waiting for a cue to do something sort of nefarious. And she, as this commotion is happening, slips away into like this back hallway, which Chetney notices. Um, and Chetney actually had gone over to Cyrus to be like, dude, what the heck are you doing here? Like, why are you, why are you here? What's going on? And he actually mentions that he he's here like under an alter ego, um, Lord. If I can find it, um, um, Lord Dirtanya, Dirtanya, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And basically says like, I'm here for Lady Emoth. She's um, done some old business with the Corsairs, and uh, we just have some business together. It's very strange. It's like, mm -hmm. why would you have business with this woman who seems kind of evil because she's here with uh, Armand? Well, so um, she slips into the back hallway. Chetney's kind of like, oh, like, well, where's she going? And decides he wants to follow her. Um, there are guards blocking the door, so he casts Invisibility to sort of sneak back into that hallway. And then also Cyrus actually distracts them by asking where the bathroom is, uh, which he yeah. doesn't realize it's Cyrus. He's just like, oh, this is my moment to kind of sneak in. So um, using his keen wolf sense, he actually picks up that Emoth has gone into one of the doors, like in this hallway. And also in this whole process, continuing the theme of rolling really poorly, he rolls like, I don't know, like a two, I think, in a stealth check. Yeah. And like walks right into a table and like, you know, not, doesn't just knock it. It's like, like totally like a pot falls over or something. <laughs> yeah. It's just, so the guards are actually going through, like trying to like find him and um, all that to say, they don't discover him. He goes to the door, he listens into the door and hears like this heavy grinding sound there's also like this really strong musty odor uh, that he can't really quite figure out so turns the knob and it actually it's unlocked and he peeks inside and it seems like to be a sweet room but he doesn't really see anyone but there's like dressers kind of just a nicer place uh and then lady emoth comes to the door almost like in this supernatural speed and he kind of jumps back and sort of hides against the wall to kind of like make himself small and he notices that she is sweating and seems to be really anxious. She shuts the door, locks it. He goes back out to the um, the ball. And around this time in the ball, what's happening is um, Vali Dertrana, the, the business commissioner, actually spots Ashton. 
And uh, the great moment of this is he spots Ashton. <laughs> he goes over to General Ratanish and kind of points like, hey, you know, something's going on with that guy. And Ratanish starts walking over. And Ashton really proudly says like, uh, well, I'm wearing a mask, so he doesn't know it's me. <laughs> and then everyone's like, yeah, but it's the mask of the Nightmare King. And he's like, oh, crap, right. That's, <laughs> you're right. So Volley's obviously recognized this mask and sent Ratanish over. Ratanish comes over and is like, hey, where'd, where'd you get the mask? What's going on? And it's kind of like, you know, typical like bodyguard, like what's going on here? Like kind of bouncer-esque. Yeah. And he's like, oh, a friend gave it to me and rolls poorly again. And uh, Ratanish actually rips the mask off his face uh, to get a good look at him. And then Ashton in response slaps him. <laughs> and uh, Ratanish then slaps him back. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, an, an old like, Com like tiff you have you see in movies with like two nobles where they decide yeah. like they slap one another and they're like we need to settle this with like with a duel and that's what they actually decide to do is they're going to go outside and settle this with a duel uh and ratanish actually grabs him by the shoulder to sort of forcefully walk him out and ashton rolls i think like a natural 20 or a dirty 20 and just like you know throws him off him uh, and the crowd by the way is like really getting energized like ooh, this is getting to be this could be really fun so people are actually uh, heading out of the ballroom now to um, basically see this happen. Ladna, by the way, has just been dancing with people. And I was like, okay, I guess nothing's really important happening with me. So I'll just, <laughs> you know, jump in with this. Um, and then also as people are kind of like moving their way out, Chetney looks around and realizes he doesn't see Cyrus anywhere. And he remembers, oh, that was Cyrus who helped me sneak into the hallway before. He must still be in that hallway. And he was looking for Lady Emoth. So he's like, crap, I have to go make sure he's okay. Yeah. So he ducks back into the hallway, doesn't see him, goes back over to the door, notices that the door, the lock has been broken. And he realizes he can step inside. He hears in a back room a commotion between two people. And in this immediate suite room are these large, large uh, small, shadowy, creatures who are like scurrying through stuff and like pocketing stuff uh, and they are the shade creepers that we saw early on in the campaign yep. it's in this moment where lady emoth in her supernatural speed comes out from this back room you know sort of bolts to the door and instead of just sweating she now in a very dugger fashion has this liquid mucus kind of pour like uh coming from her pores Ugh. black beady eyes um, and she shuts the door. Um, and, uh, that's basically how the episode ends. Yeah. So pretty crazy stuff. It was it's a lot a, of stuff all happening at the same time. Yeah. And a lot of really bad roles too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I actually commented this on the, the critical role VOD. So not to repeat myself, but. Uh, it bears repeating Matt, just a masterclass of DMing this episode, just having that many NPCs ready and played perfectly. And just that many balls in the air. Yeah, it was, it was impressive. Um, yeah. it was also impressive. Um, the critical role team, the fact that they were able to put together a plan for the entire first hour of, <laughs> of the episode. And then, and then not use it at all, bro. That is, <laughs> that is critical role. If you had to distill it down to one <laughs> sentence is like, we plan for six hours and then we don't do it at all. <laughs> My favorite part is where they were in one wagon talking about their plan. And then after an hour, it went to the other wagon and they were like, 
surely they know that, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what the key detail was. Like, well, if they're talking about it for an hour, they definitely know. Yeah. <laughs> so, that anyway. was great. Well, uh, did you enjoy the episode? I did. I did. I, I, um, you know, was looking forward to this. I thought it would be fun and it, it was the only thing we didn't really get was a combat, but we're kind of left at the door of that for, for next episode with this duel between uh, yeah. Tanish and Ashton. Um, and I, I know I've said this a lot, so I'm not going to go ahead and give the spiel again, but, uh, you know, I love RP heavy episodes, so that's what we had here. And again, I was yeah. just impressed by Matt juggling all these, these balls in the air. So I, I loved it. What about you though? Loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. Um, really enjoyed it. Felt like, uh, Matt did such a great job of just like the vibe of this ball. And, uh, um, yeah. I just loved Ashley Johnson being like, do they have vegan options? He's like, yes, they have literally little, what do you want? And they're going to give it to you. Um, it's like the world building of this, this scene was really great. Um, and you know, it, the way he described it, like I really, the whole time I was listening, I was visually seeing it all happen and play out, which can be really clunky as a DM when you're in a room with dozens of people, it can be really hard to like create an environment where you have a sense of being a person in that room in the crowd. Yeah. Um, and especially like you said, managing so many, so many things were happening at the same time. Um, and there were so many roles that they messed up too. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, loved it. Thought it was great. Nice. Um, all right. Well, so before if, if should we talk about this theory, you think that's not related yeah, to the episode? Let's hit, let's hit the theory, you know, cause we're going to probably jump around a bit in this episode. Cause there's, there's, you know, in terms of like progression, um, I thought this episode was a lot more of like, okay, that's information here. That's, that's mm -hmm. an insight as to what's happening here. But like, you know, I think it makes sense for us not to necessarily be like, then this happened. Let's talk about that. So yeah, yeah hit, hit me with your theory. Okay. And so quick, is this your theory? Did you, did well, you read this or? It is. All right. Okay. Just a quick general disclaimer for this. I'm calling it a theory. It's not really like a theory that's pointing to anything concrete. It's just connections that i that i made that was like a light bulb moment and i haven't seen anybody else say these connections but like i'm not trying to say i'm a genius like this this for all i know this is like known information that everyone else in the community was like yeah idiot like we've all realized that but for me it just clicked yeah, yeah. so all that being said you're like imogen the dream is <laughs> we're like yeah. that is part of it <laughs> oh imogen's um, in the dream <laughs> but and so again using the word theory maybe isn't even right because all i'm basically going to do is just present a bunch of information that okay that comes together nicely for me now so all that being said you're you're a great sounding board because i haven't like practiced yeah. this so i'm just going to be an information stream to you right now all right okay so in no particular order with how i'm presenting this information Okay, we know that Imogen is <clears throat> having these this these dreams that uh, give her powers, and um, she went to research it. You know, okay. found this book that talked about her mother and this study, and that this is something that happens on a thirty-year cycle. Right. And we know that in the dream, shit's hitting the fan. Like yeah. it's a red storm that's tearing right. up the earth. Like she needs to run. No. Um, we know that the Loomis twins also checked out that book, were interested in the celestial bodies, and I think we even speculated that maybe they too were having this dream. We don't know that, but for whatever right. reason, they were interested in this as well, and they were killed. Now, whether right. those two things are connected or not, we're not sure, but 
seemingly. Also, the way they were killed was how Keyleth of the Arashari was attacked. And um, this is where I I probably should think about how I'm connecting these pieces of information, so bear with me. But Keyleth, you know, one of a very powerful person in Exandria, a member of Vox Machina, um, a leader of one of the Ashari tribes. Now, the Ashari tribes are four tribes across Exandria, each tasked with, like, um, protecting is not the right word, but, like, making sure the four elements, air, earth, fire, and water, those planes are, like, playing well with Exandria. Like, the four Ashari tribes, they're, they are supposed to cultivate and, like, make sure that those elements and those planes are behaving, for lack of a better word, because right. Right. a long like time ago... What? I envision them as like protecting, yeah, making sure everything should be where it should be is kind of how right. I have my internal explanation, I guess. Right, and the, the that whole that whole thing started because a long, long time ago, um, there was something called the elemental sundering, where all these planes of existence kind of overlapped, and so like the element of plane of fire like burst through Exandria, and there's still the like conjunction. a conjunction. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, so that's why the Ashari split up into these four groups and were, you know, okay, sure, doing okay. their thing. Um, so the elemental thundering took place because of this event that happens every thirty years, just like Imogen's dream, just like in the Legend of Vox Machina, the Briarwoods are waiting for. If you've been watching it, they've been talking about yeah, it's too early. Like a... There's like a um, eclipse or something that's happening or yeah, something? so something with perhaps Rudis. They they talk of a celestial solstice and in Legend of Vox Machina, yeah. the Briarwoods are waiting for this, but you know, not to spoil it, but you know, they're like we have to push things along, like we don't have time to wait for that. So anyway, uh, the Briarwoods are connected to the Whispered One, who we know to be Vecna, and Vecna has a long storied history, but Vecna also used this celestial event, the celestial solstice um to to do things it enabled him to teleport and you like have a surge in power basically and what the celestial solstice is is these these lay energies like overlaying it's the the planes the elemental planes coming together which is the same thing that caused the elemental sundering so anyway i think all these events are the same thing um and again this may be obvious to people but you know imogen's dream is i think the the precursor to this celestial solstice event which is the planes overlapping which also makes perfect sense with what we know from exu there's this enormous well of energy springing up from the yeah. fire plane presumably right, right. Yeah. um this the omen that the the nirdal pak people were worried yeah. about it's right. it's this event so what like so we know this celestial solstice is happening imogen has this terrible dream i think that the Loomis twins, whether or not they had the dream, were studying all of this. And I think whoever is planning to use this event for nefarious purposes is probably who attacked them, probably who attacked Keyleth, because Keyleth is the leader of the Ashari, who is like, job is to make sure this shit doesn't go down that way. Not to mention the fact that she was a member of Vox Machina, who, you know, fought the Briarwoods. And we know Laudna is freaking patroned by one yeah. of the Briarwoods. So maybe this is partially the Briarwood Delilah again trying to reuse the same event that she failed to use 30 years ago. 
Has it been and, 30 years since? Yeah, since campaign one. So like all this timing okay. is is yeah. adding up. And yeah. so <laughs> like maybe, I'm not saying Delilah is the one behind it, but like yeah. the machinations possibly, which would make sense as to why Keyleth and the Loomis twins were attacked. Like the connection is the fact that both of these people stood in the way of possibly preventing this event or what may try to come of it. Um, but yeah, so again, I don't really have like an end game for what I'm trying to tie together with all these pieces, but that all clicked for me where it hadn't previously. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't put together that Imogen's dream in this 30 year event also was the celestial solstice where the planes overlap and everything. Yeah. Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> yeah so again that no, was just a great. bunch of like word vomit and again everyone no, might really, be like yeah um, bro we knew that no I, I mean i didn't know it because i don't have any of that context that you had um yeah the furthest that my internal dialogue had gotten to was just that yeah every 30 years there's some kind of event um and then in watching legend of ox machina which we've been putting up videos on that um another plug check out his easter egg videos they're good um in seeing that and there's like the scene where the Brywoods mention that solstice and i was like oh cool so like some kind of what is that you know so that's the only context i had um really interesting hearing about that elemental um how did you phrase it like that solstice is when like the elemental planes kind of yeah like the planes kind of like align so like there's massive kind of like synced. Yeah, there's like a power potential which plays into if you saw EXU. I know you did, but yeah, speaking generally, if you saw if you saw EXU, there was this massive plateau that sprang out of the ground that was like from the fire plane, presumably that was just like this massive well of energy waiting to be molded. So presumably right. that's happening all over the world. So if somebody has like nefarious purposes for that amount of power, like something really bad could potentially happen so i feel like yeah. that's what that's what imogen's premonition dream is about and that's what potentially delilah briarwood is up to with laudna and whoever else she has puppeting out in the world right. so right I don't know. yeah crazy stuff man it feels like it feels like we're heading to like a big climactic like story moments um because there's a lot of plot threads that are just sort of hanging um yeah. And they're being kind of, sorry, my dog's barking in the background. Um, they're being kind of like furthered with each episode. Like now we have this Lady Emoth who seems to be um, involved in with um, a similar force that affected Duggar, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And so there's there's that whole thing. Um, you know, we have Ratanish in the Paragon's Call and it just feels like they're, feels like so many of these things have welled up now to um, surely we're heading towards like a big cumul cumulative cumulative moment. Cumulative, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it makes me wonder if we're going to get some kind of like nod to like the theory you're talking about. Yeah, I think that, I mean, who knows the time scale that Matt has in his head? Like, I don't know where exactly we are in this 30 year cycle. Like, is it year 30 and it's like, this month that this stuff is happening or is it like the end of year 29 maybe it's in like six months from now when this really this solstice happens um but to me the whole let's just call it the solstice for lack of a better word the whole solstice easter egg basket is like one potential thing and then this political dugger yeah shade creeper thing is probably not connected to that this is like just like a whole nother story thread so i feel like that's what we're headed till first and maybe this 
solstice thing is a little bit down the road. It would think it would seem to be a little down the road for the sheer fact that no one's mentioning it. Like yeah. you're not hearing townspeople be like, "Oh yeah, the solstice is coming up." Like to me, that gives the implication that it's a little bit away. Um, yeah. But it would be interesting if we start hearing that kind of like terminology in like the near future or like 30 episodes down the road. Because um, it does feel like a more longer term thing. Um, but yeah, lots of, lots of plot threads. And I don't mean that in a negative way because um, they feel linked. EXU had a lot of plot threads and those felt very yeah. disparate. And we talked a lot about <laughs> why can't I hold all these plot threads? <laughs> yeah, well, game. but I will say that if what the stuff I was just talking about does make me be a little kinder on exu if knowing that that plateau and stuff that really didn't lead anywhere like oh this ominous warning from the people of nerdopak that really didn't lead anywhere if those were just little beads of or sorry seeds that were planted for this storyline of this big celestial solstice climactic event yeah then that makes more sense to me but like we just obviously didn't have any of that perspective at the time it was just a new thing every single episode and it's like well wait what about these yeah, yeah. 18 things we were already focused on right yeah no that's fair and um you know maybe it's good to you know maybe shelf some of those i mean because we don't really know where else to go with those things maybe right. shelf them and talk about kind of the micro of this episode yeah the more specific things um because there were you know there's a lot happening in the macro there's also a lot happening in the micro you know just to ramble off things um you know, I, I think feel like there's more to say about Armand and the Paragon's call, um, Preston, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Lady Emoth, uh, Cyrus, what the heck are you doing? I think, yeah. I think the CR team was kind of just like, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. <laughs> you're what an like, idiot. Why are you here? Yeah. Um, you know, Ashton with the mask and get it getting ripped off. I mean, these are kind of like the big narrative points that I'm thinking about. Where do you, where do you want to start today? Let's let's start with Emoth because you you were already kind of talking about. It. I think that's a good spot. Is that what was interesting to me is one clearly she's whatever Duggar was. You know I think that's right. obvious. Um, but the interesting connection that that happened to me is she too is connected to the Corsairs just like he was. Exactly. Yeah. Which, but I mean, he seemingly he was no longer part of the Corsairs. He had like left. But it's still interesting that they both have that Corsair connection and so i'm wondering is that just coincidence or like you know what did the corsairs really know and were they lying about being distanced from duggar because you know also cyrus like she seemingly was doing whatever she's doing in shade creeper land but she also was there for the corsairs because she was dealing with cyrus and they had some agenda so is that the same agenda or did she have two agendas like a corsair agenda and a shade creeper agenda i got the implication that she had done some work in the past with them and he was because he mentions like trying to like settle his debts like it was kind of like a um uh hail mary like she's going to be at the ball maybe she because she has like a soft spot for the corsairs maybe she can help me figure some things out um that's the implication i got but in similar duggar fashion the takeaway i got was it's been a while and now, um, you know, she's a lot different than maybe she was back when she worked with the Corsairs. Um, it's still a really fuzzy connection because obviously she seems to be hand in hand with Armand, who we've can assume is probably evil. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the whole like morality or like, I guess, honesty of what 
the Corsairs have told us, it's definitely in question, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. And I want, like, Cyrus said that he was just there to, like, rob people, right? Like, wasn't that what he, like, he was going to try to score? Like, that was his reason for being there, or no? I I mean, maybe I, I, I would have to go back and listen to the conversation. I got it more in the sense of, like, he was there specifically for Lady Emoth um for some reason mm. but i'm not sure yeah because i don't think he was there just to like like pickpocket people like i think okay. he had business with lady emoth which is why then later on it's implied that he's the one who broke the lock and snuck into her suite right I assume was the one who was talking with her um and i mean is he dead now i mean is he <laughs> did she flush him down a toilet like what <laughs> yeah where <laughs> what is he yeah. Um yeah. I mean, I guess he could be in that other room that like you know we heard the commotion in or whatever, but yeah, uh, that's strange. But and it, it, it came out full mucus lady though. Yeah. You know? And it is so. strange that like okay, if so if, if all that is true, which I we assume it to, it to be true, then it, it it's interesting why like they weren't on the same page obviously. Cyrus and Emoth or else why right. would he have to pickpocket the door to see what she was doing? So, like, was Cyrus just curious and wanted to know what was going on? Or was he on maybe a mission of the Corsairs to, like, spy on her? Like, that maybe was his true mission mm -hmm. or something? I don't know. I don't know what's wildly going on, speculating here. but What's going on with the, the heavy grinding sound? To me, and I could be wrong, but to me, I read that as they were pulling furniture away to access the Shade Creeper tunnels. Oh. like to potentially escape at least the shade yeah. creepers themselves or to let them in yeah or yeah or to let them in yeah okay that makes a lot of sense yeah i was envisioning like a, a wheat granary or like grinding <laughs> something it's like what are you doing big stone wheel that's just <laughs> can't be this <laughs> could it though no, probably not. maybe that's how they turn people into ooze monsters yeah <laughs> which yeah yeah, we still don't know what that's about. Yeah. And she, this sorry. earthy, musty smell. Yeah, and the fact that she can presumably, like, transition, which I guess we knew this for Duggar, too, but we really didn't ever have, like, a normal depiction of Duggar. He always looked weird. Right. But with Imoth, she can, like, transition from shade creeper form to, like, looking normal again. So right. that's interesting. Really, He could do that, too. He could? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because when they okay. see him... The similarities between the two of them is they're both very pale and kind of ghastly. Oh, okay. Um, but her, and then when she comes to the door, she's kind of reconstituting herself. Yeah, the bones are popping back in place. And But because um, Duggar, when they first meet him in the inn, when he's talking to the person that he is like the go-between, um, he's relatively normal, but still. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of gross yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> um, until they fight him in his house. So, and but yeah. And again, this is just like pure speculation, but I wonder if like what Armand knows, like, does he right. know that she is that? And if so, that connects him to Duggar more than likely, which we know Armand is responsible for just chaos happening all over uh, Drusar. So it would right. make sense that he was the one behind Duggar. So right. maybe he's the one behind her. Um but yeah, it, it just seems like she was looking for something in that room, right? Like, surely yeah. it's more than just a smash and grab of 
But I got the impression that it was her room, too. Because wasn't it mentioned that, like, people... I think there was some comment around, like, suites are provided for um, people who are, like, coming into Dressar who, like, need a place to stay or something or... True, yeah. That is the case. Um, I guess it's it's just as easily not her room. I thought I got the impression she was, like, going to her room, though. Yeah, that's a good point. The guards knew her. The guards knew her and, like, recognized her. They let her her back. Yeah. And she did lock it, which maybe, I mean, I don't know how locks necessarily work, but like maybe if you have to have a key or if it's like a, so if she, how do the locks in Alexandria work, <laughs> which I, I love their comment at the start where they were like, oh yeah, in Alexandria, there's not 24 hours in seven day weeks. And he was, Matt was like, uh, yes, yes, there is <laughs> normal, it's a normal 24 hour day, but 11 months. That's the only difference. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Like after all these years, they were still like, how many, how many days are there? Yeah, so. I actually, yeah, I actually, I, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't like think about it. But yeah, it's good to know. And I actually don't know if I knew there were 11 months. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So if it was her room, then what, like, if it was her room, then maybe she was just letting the shade creepers in. But yeah, but then why are they, but stuffing... they were like, yeah, they were like looting, right? Yeah. Which, if it's someone else's room, how did she get into it? And why do guards seem indifferent that she's going to that room? Yeah. Maybe like, maybe she has a room there. So they like let her back, but then she was in someone else's room from that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Very interesting. And like Gavis's room. Say again, who? Oh, Gavis. Yeah. Yeah. The speaker. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I guess there's a lot of possibilities here, but if, if it is an Armand connection, then perhaps it's to, you know, rifle some more feathers to ultimately get the Paragon's call to be able to come in. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting, and not to move away from this if you wanted to talk about it more, but it's interesting that, like, one of the main reasons to come to this ball was to, like, figure out quorum stuff, and we literally, like, <laughs> they didn't make any progress on that, really, other than a quick Gavis introduction. Right, right. But they got the ring as they did. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So yeah, hopefully we'll. Did did they ever reveal what the ring actually does? Because I'm still kind of lost on that. I'm assuming it's like a way for them to scry on him or overhear his conversations or something. Magic ring. So it it must be. I think even Dorian even calls it a tracking ring or something that effect. So yeah, I think it's it's yeah to scry and to you know basically figure out what he's what is doing yeah. to figure it out. So I wonder if he's part of the quorum. I mean, it seemed like he definitely seems powerful and influential, but finding out that he was the black sheep of the family makes me wonder if maybe he's not, but he's just trying to like build his, his, yeah, whatever. I couldn't get the implication that if he used to be, and so now he's done all this stuff to sort of, you know, position himself in that way. Or if he still is, um, which the latter of it would seem to imply that he's not actually part of the quorum or the the elite quorum, right. um, at least. Um, but um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. And it's it's interesting because he it definitely feels like him, Volley, Ratanish, and I assume Lady Emoth is with him. It could be maybe she's got her own plans or something. I'm not sure. But um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a good point 
of that he could not be anymore but i took it to mean that he still is and that's kind of it that's kind of informing why he's doing all this because he's like Mm -hmm. desperate to change his status um so maybe he's kind of going to these extreme lengths of you know getting people killed and things to to try to change his position um but yeah i hopefully this ring leads to some more answers for him uh but the whole so i'm i'm jumping around again um but uh preston i i'm yeah. sure i don't know if you like ended up seeing what that was about or not no. um but i'm sure you noticed how like travis was like like freaking out and then slowly like the rest of the cast kind of found out um so what the, what that was is and this is campaign 1 spoilers slightly the preston is from campaign 1 so that's oh this character is yeah Oh, um, cool. Oh, uh, do you care about? I mean, it's not like a big thing. It's just like a yeah, okay, sure. I don't really know how to classify it as a spoiler, but it's just like a small, like one episode moment. Um, yeah, okay. No, yeah, go for it. And I won't, I won't give you the details around it. But essentially, what happens is in campaign one, they encounter this guy who's basically like, I don't know if he's homeless, but like he's a, a nobody. Yeah, and okay. um. They basically are using him to test out something because uh, Grog doesn't want to test it out himself. So they like grab this guy off the street to do it. And what happens is he actually gets three wishes out of it. And oh, so he wishes yeah. to be the Lord of the Quadroads. And oh. so and that's basically the last you ever see of him. And so him showing up here, it was just crazy to see, you know, this character, which oh, kind of so makes sense guy. as to why yeah. he's kind of like, kind of falling off a little bit because you know maybe he, he yeah. just became that because of a wish so he probably doesn't actually know how to like operate in that world i mean it has been 30 years and he's still like alive right. and a noble so he's done well enough i guess but right um yeah. but yeah so I, I don't know if you picked up on this or would remember it in hindsight but ashley as fern was like do you get what you wish for or like she like used some very clever word yeah play. and i didn't yeah 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 i didn't get what i was like what was that moment that just yeah. happened <laughs> Yeah, but that was pretty fun. Yeah, which how, how did he respond to that? I don't remember. Uh, I think he like he like gave her a wink kind of thing. Like he didn't like acknowledge it too on the nose, but he did right. like kind of playfully respond to that. Um, yeah, but you know he didn't like press her further on like what do you mean? Like how do you know that or anything? Um, yeah. So who know who yeah. knows if he actually took it to mean anything beyond just playful conversation? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've kind of just felt bad for him because I was like, I kind of got the impression. It makes more sense now with the context, but like, um, you know, had a super hot, you know, moment of success and then sort of crash and burned afterwards. But it makes more sense what you said of, um, you know, not really knowing how to sustain in that society or that lifestyle and kind of petering off a bit. Yeah. cool character though yeah like it's so cool for matt to just bring that back uh deep cut basically and i love that travis basically i think it was when he heard lord of the quadroads like travis immediately recognized and then you could kind of see like this ripple effect of him like telling i forget who he told but he told somebody and then i think they texted somebody else it was yeah. just kind of fun to watch that reaction yeah yeah no that's cool the other thing i noticed unrelated to that was the whole conversation on 
if Dorian needed to pick up the ring or <laughs> ignore it. Yeah. And I could tell it seemed like Laura Bailey was so she annoying. She was getting so frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard, like texting too, because you mentioned texting a second ago. And so I just think it's funny, like these little moments at the table where people are probably texting one another, you know, like, why did he do that? Or, yeah. you know, no, I I totally. Know. I can totally see, like, I related with Laura there because I, I felt like she was right. I felt like Dorian just didn't really understand what she was saying, you know? Right. Like, he's like, no, I already have the ring. But she's like, no, you just need right. to, like, like so he knows that you're the one that found it. Like, pretend to pick right. it up. And so I could just, I could feel her frustration. <laughs> I think she, like, yeah. facepalmed eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely classic miscommunication because they were both using the word ring, but they meant two different rings. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cause yeah, it was like Dorian, pick up the ring, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, but um, that was a funny scene though too. Yeah, they. I can't believe they ultimately got away with it. <laughs> he just decided to Matt, throw it across the room. And this I, is what I wanted to mention earlier: is it felt like Matt was not pulling any punches with how many. I mean, it was like roll after roll after roll, and every time a new character got involved, like a new player got involved, it was like, all right, make another deception check, make another yeah. sleight of hand check, or what have you. Um. And it got so clunky and convoluted that even Matt himself forgot that FCG had already picked up the ring. Yeah. Norm's like, I'm gonna try to find it. Norm's like, I, I have it. Or FCG's like, I have it. <laughs> He's like, that's right. You do have it. Um, but yeah, it was anarchy for sure. And I think about like the role of a DM, like, cause it very easily could have gone really bad. Like if Armand had been privy to the fact that they were trying to swap the ring, I mean, with Ratanish there and I mean, yeah. it could have, this could have been like a really bad outcome. And yet they kind of coasted just on the, the edge of, you know, like the wagon falling off. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I think, you know, as a DM, it's kind of hard to like, you know what your party really wants to accomplish, but yet their roles are sort of working against them. And maybe that's what made it so feel so precarious was the fact that they just couldn't really get any headway with their roles. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I even wonder, I mean, they ultimately were successful, but I wonder if maybe that if they, if they were like, cause if I was Armand, I don't know. I, I, I would be totally, it would totally make sense to me if he, like if they don't end up getting anything out of this, cause maybe he takes the ring off or, you know, like off screen, if you will, realizes what was going on. Cause I mean, that was very suspicious. I mean, he knew, I think it was Orem that made the deception check that rolled really low. And, you know, he told the guard to like, watch out for him. So, I mean, clearly there's enough in Armand's mind to feel like is something going on here. Like a random guy just came up and lied to me about this. Yeah. So and he's already super suspicious of Fern, who is the one who yeah. pulled it off his finger. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think you might be onto something that it just was so clunky that it's it's not going to go anywhere. But maybe maybe it does. Maybe Matt just gives it to him, yeah. <laughs> you know, for your hard work. But I mean, at, with as deceptive and like with so many things that he has, I mean, so many plates he has spinning in terms of things he's responsible for or seems to be responsible for. Yeah, it does seem like he'd be aware that hey, this something just happened. Yeah, I mean, I think so, but we'll. I mean, I hope not because I want to. I want to find out some juicy information from the ring, but we'll see. And so, okay, let me, I'm going to try to make these connections again. So Armand is connected to Ratanish because Armand's the one pulling all these strings to try to get them. The Paragon's call in power, right? Yeah. We, we think, think. So we don't right. know. Right. Um, but we know that 
Armand is working with Vali, Vali, mm-hmm. who was working with the Nightmare King. Right. And Val, uh, sorry, uh, Vali is the one that goes and gets Ratanish right. when he sees Ashton. Mask. Yeah. So seemingly, and it's not fair to say this with 100% certainty, but seemingly all those players are connected. Right. Um, and we did get a nice detail from Preston about, I think it was Preston. No, maybe it was, might have been Gavis on the Paragon's call, how they were like kind of rebranding themselves. Yeah. Um, and we kind of saw that with like maybe the flyer they found in the end of like, you know, the Paragon's call, like sort of like, you know, the answer to yes. all the anarchy. And it seemed like maybe they were a bit of a, um, well, two thoughts I had, maybe a bit more of a cutthroat type of organization previously. Like Matt calls them kind of like a Mad Max-esque <laughs> group of people. But maybe they are rebranding from the Immortal Syndicate. Hmm. And it's the same organization. That would be interesting. Maybe they're like, maybe the Immortal Syndicate, it's like their parent company, you know, and they kind of are like the the visible arm of them or something. That would be interesting. I mean, we still... Ever since that early, early episode mention of them, we have had no sign of the immortal or the ivory syndicate. Did um, I say immortal again? <laughs> I don't know. I just I realized I, I did. did. I don't even know. But uh, I think I said immortal syndicate. <clears throat> but yeah, I actually I'm glad you said that because I forgot. Uh, but I wrote that same thing down that uh, they have a less than savory history and they're trying to rebrand. Right. The only other thing we know about them, I think, I don't have this written down, so I'm just pulling this out of the ether. So I might be wrong, but they were in the the hellcatch valley battle or war like the paragons call i think were like a big part of that yeah okay and we know that that was that war has been referenced a few times i think it was between two parts of marquette like yeah the north and the south um oh maybe is that i I, I don't don't remember the part you're referring to so i I was that's why i was asking if you're talking about Maybe so. I just remember that there's like a, the Hellcatch Valley. There was like a big conflict. So I don't know if that was like its own separate entity or if that was just one facet of the Apex War. Yeah, I'm not the sure. Apex War was the Stratus Throne, and I think the Court of the Lambent Path. I think. And speaking of, it, I, we found out that the Stratus Throne declined the invite to this, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of there's there's still a lot of like political powers and stuff that I don't really have mapped out in my head yet, like of of who they are and what. They, yeah, I think in the last, is. I think in the last episode, Matt kind of gave a nice little detail that if you if you envision the continent of Marquette and you break it up into three sections, you have Ancarel, Drusar, and maybe the Court of the Lambent Path. Um and they're all sort of divided by the Hellcatch Valley. I think is something similar to what he had said in terms of like the major pl- power players. Because um, I think the Stratus Throne is on Corel, right? I don't know. I, I'm not yeah. confident enough. I, I mean, this yeah. is something like I need to figure out or we need to figure out. If, or if somebody in the comments has like a really concise breakdown of these political entities, like... Let us know. Yeah, give us give us your best MS Paint skills and, <laughs> <laughs> and just draw it out for us because we're having a, a tough time uh, visualizing it for sure. Yeah, I, I just need to dive into the Critical Role Wiki or something to get this finally correct in my own mind. Um, but if I know, so Jamansa Ord, I know is the like leader. I don't know if king is the right word of on Corel. I think. So I don't know if that is 
like if that's the stratus throne and that's just like another word for it or not or if that's a completely separate entity um but anyway i there was some I, i can't find it in my notes so i don't know if i didn't actually take a note or if it's like another episode that i'm pulling from but i i'm just this is coming back to me i remembered a potential like idea for maybe like a, a grander um conflict that was happening perhaps between Drusar and I don't know if it's on Krell or one of these other places, but maybe that they're um going head to head because and again this is like the worst description ever because I don't explicitly remember what I'm trying to say here. But somebody mentioned something about like on Corel versus Drusar, one of them being like the prime Yeah. It was from the previous episode and I don't remember the exact detail either. I don't know <laughs> if it was in the context of like, um, oh man, I feel like I'm mixing things up now too. There was also I'm, the comment yeah. about from like uh, when they were at the star point conservatory um, on like which either on Corel or I think Eos um, yeah. kind of buy for who is like the true academic like center. Yeah. Maybe that's, what, I I like think that's was, what it was. I felt like there was like a definite, comment around Dressar and on Corel as well. I think also from that episode, but I don't quite remember what it was. Yeah, me neither. So this makes this kind of a bad discussion point. But what I'm trying to distill from all of that is that there may be like a kind of either behind the scenes or not conflict between two of these like major cities in, in Marquette to like be the city. And so mm-hmm. maybe there's like some political sabotage or intrigue happening that could be like maybe even what's going on with this broomstone like maybe there's some big power play or like terrorist attack that is ultimately trying to like usurp one over the other um i know this this was sloppy as hell but there, there's some there's some thought amongst all that garbage that i'm trying to convey that maybe i'll be able to do better next week or something yeah we haven't really got a brimstone sighting in a while. Um, and this is probably with Lady Emoth, probably the closest connection we've had to it since yeah. we know that Duggar was, um, I can't think of the phrasing, but basically um, using, you know, sneaking it in, I guess, through Esteros's warehouse. Um, so it, we definitely need more information there. And so maybe it'll pop up relatively soon too. Yeah. We'll see. I, I mean, the nice thing about recording so late is that we have a new episode tomorrow. So maybe we'll, maybe That's we'll great, get some yeah. of this information in, you know, 24 hours. Love my Chick-fil-A day. Oh, baby. <laughs> Watch some critical role. Bro, there's and, one other detail. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was going crazy. So you go ahead. I was going to say the, there's this other detail, a line that was said. So Ashton and Ratanish looks like they're about to have a duel of some kind. Fern hands him a uh, great scene, hands him the ornamental sword. I wanted to ask you about this. I forgot what sword does she have? Or did she take that from Dorian? She stole the sword from, um, Vali's office, I think. And she snuck it in the ball. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I missed that. I didn't think she snuck anything in. So I was really confused when she handed she, him a sword. She's been keeping it in her bag. But the reason it was confusing is because Matt asked each of them, what do you have? And she had said she had left. Yeah, she said she left all her stuff. So that's why I was confused. Yeah, and I think it was just a moment where Matt didn't want to be like, "Um, actually, you said you didn't have that. Right. So, um, Okay, that makes sense because I was was like, where did this sword come from? 
Yeah, the only person who physically brought a sword in that any, everyone could see was Dorian, who was like, I don't even know how to use this thing. Right. You know? So um, so there was that. But um, as Ashton's heading out to have this duel, Lord Esteros mentions uh, he's here on my behalf. Like people know that he's part of my mm. entourage. Yeah. And pretty much says like it's going to be messy now. Um, cause in spite of how this duel goes now, it's why is that person with Esteros wearing a nightmare King? Mask? Right. Right. So that definitely connects Esteros to the whole moon tower incident. Exactly. We were worried about him getting attacked. It didn't happen mm -hmm. at the ball. Well, I mean, I guess it still could happen at the ball. The ball's not over, but, uh, I'm worried for our boy, Eric's. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He hasn't really done much during this ball for, you know, getting out and about, you know, he's kind of just yeah. been laying low. I kind of expected him to kind of have his own plan to, for how rare he gets out. That's true. You know, to try to help facilitate this plan of identifying who the members of the quorum are. Yeah, that's a so. good point. I guess, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I was going to say maybe it was happening off screen, but I, I get not really though, because I think he just was with his team pretty much the whole time. Right. No, no. Maybe, maybe he still has something to, to contribute in this next episode. But that's a good point. He just kind of chilled, wallflowered with uh, Grease. Which, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, and who knows if we'll get it given everything that's happening, especially with, uh, you know, Chetney not even being there at the moment, since he's well, he, Chetney did get away successfully, right? At the end of the episode, like he left or is he still right there with no i Imoth? think he he made sure not to step into the room so she okay. like reshut it um because i think maybe travis realized hey being in this room with the shade coopers would probably be really bad yeah <laughs> okay so i think he made sure to say he never actually stepped in um okay so i think i mean lady emoth i mean she's over three now on doors um yeah she's founded a jar twice and someone broke the lock presumably cyrus <laughs> to come in um, Emoth lady. I mean, surely by now you've realized Get a clue. something's going on here. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So Chetney, I guess he's not back with everyone else yet, but at least he's, he's like seeming, in the hallway, maybe. I yes, think. he's seemingly on his way back. But anyway, what I was going to say was the whole Ajit Dial connection. I was excited to maybe find out more about that. Now I don't know if we'll get that since this duel is happening and probably the focus is going to be elsewhere. Um, but that was a really cool connection that you know I think. Sam or somebody had to even remind Travis of once it happened. They're like, "Hey, that's that's the guy from here backstory that you're supposed to find." Yeah, yeah, with the Gorgon eye or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, Gurge had told them about like the right. meeting he that he should go make happen. Yeah, it was really funny. Like Travis being like, "Oh, okay, cool," and everyone was like, "Travis, that's that's your guy." <laughs> which like, oh what? Which remind me, the Gorgon eye is that the one that like will hunt you down if you are like a werewolf it's biting people type of thing or was that the other one i don't think we got a name for the one that will hunt you down okay. or it was implied to also be the gorgonai okay gorgani which something. i don't know i i really want to i mean whether they're that same group or not i'm interested to find out more about them so i was hoping to kind of get to meet ajit and and find right. out some stuff right um, so maybe we still will I guess we at least know he's around, even if they don't 
get to it at the ball. Um, right. Yeah. So what are your guesses for what happens next episode? We're having the duel and then is Chetney going to be like, Hey guys, we got to get over to this crazy lady's room. Like something might be happening to Cyrus or. I think so. I just don't know how you necessarily like to me, it doesn't seem like the duel is just going to like be done once it's done. I feel like there's implicate, like, like you mentioned, people know that he's connected to Estros. So I feel like there's going to be like, that's not just going to end when their fight ends. So I don't know if they'll be able to be like, okay, well that's over. Let's go. Let me go check on Cyrus altogether. But I feel like that's what they need to do. Cause I mean, like we talked about, is he dead? Like, did she, is he with her? Is he working with her? Is you know, I feel like that's priority number one. Cause like some stuff's going down and, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, rambling, but predictions, right. I guess, are, you know, the duel's going to go one way or the other. It'll be interesting. We don't know what class uh, Rakanish is. Yeah. But did they, I'm sorry, I'm going six ways here, but did they ever des- decide if it was a fist fight or they were going to use weapons? I'm not sure. I think Ashton suggested a fist fight or something. Yeah. Um, if it is a fist fight, and again, I know nothing about Ratanish or what level he is or anything, but if it's a fist fight, I feel like Ashton does have a pretty good advantage because damage is way lower because, you know, you're just, it's strength plus one or whatever it is, right? But Ashton can rage, which will half all damage. So essentially, mm. unless Ratanish or Tanish can also rage, he's going to be doing only 50% damage. So right. I feel like if, if that is the case and he's not massively high level, then Ashton probably has a pretty good chance, but I mean, he's probably pretty high level and he may very well be a barbarian as well. Um, but yeah, yeah I was so, trying to get, like a sense of like his physical presence as a half giant, like how big he was. And yeah, um, I wasn't quite sure of any of that other it's, than probably Grog is a good, yeah. Okay. So I thought thing to put in your mind for that. Oh, one thing about Ashton. So is, is his real name Aaron Bennett? Uh, do you think so? Well, I don't know. I it, it he part of me thought it was just like kind of like a funny like uh, Aaron Bennett Ashton, and then I started thinking like we don't have a full name from Ashton yet, so mm-hmm. could it be Aaron Bennett Ashton? Aaron Ashton? I don't know. That would be interesting because he also he also said Aaron to marwa right right so i don't know if if maybe at the ball he said aaron because of that incident or it could be he said it both times because maybe that is his real name and he couldn't think of anything else um i don't know that would be interesting though well because with fcg even asked like hey so you know ask them like what do you prefer we do you want ashton do you want do you want aaron or and he was kind of weird about it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, well, that was just some random name I came out. He was kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, you could, you could try it. I mean, sure. Or maybe just Ashton or it was, it was just weird. It was a weird conversation. And so that's why yeah. I thought maybe it's, there's more to it than just, oh, uh, that was some random name, you know? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time we didn't start out with the character's real name. So it would be interesting. What does that mean? <laughs> But yeah, I don't think I really answered your question ultimately. I don't really know. But I mean, I imagine the duel happens. Whoever wins, you know, kind of regardless, I feel like 
I feel like that's going to lead to something where either they got to get out or another greater conflict starts and they're going to have to wrestle between that and what Chetney knows. Uh, I mean, assuming even Chetney can get back to them. I mean, since he hasn't made it yet, who knows? He might right. get stopped on the way or something. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I imagine those two things to be what this next episode is about for the most part. It could be a really big episode, especially since we're going to be taking a two-week break, we think. I mean, they said that moving forward, the last week they take off, they said for the most part. So I think there might be some months where they're like, hey, we're just going to go ahead and do another one. Right. Uh, yeah. But I think, they, I think they had that there just for the security of, like, we can take a break if we need to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if this is the last one for a couple weeks or not. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else you want to mention from the episode? Uh. Not off the top of my head, no. I think we okay. we covered most of it. Well, definitely, you guys listening, uh, tell us your favorite thoughts, theories, um, ideas for what could be happening next or what could be happening behind the scenes. And like we said at the start of this episode, um, we're going to be doing that favorite theory video. So definitely hit us whatever your macro or micro um, theories are, and we'll, we'll grab a handful that we really like and um, share about them here in the next couple of weeks so yeah thumbnail uh yeah should be like a mask or something like that's what i was thinking maybe like ripping off the mask but i don't know how you like really convey that yeah i don't either I, if i had like a piece of cloth i'd be one of us like holding it and the other person like shocked that <laughs> i don't, I don't have i don't keep random pieces of cloth around me yeah i guess we could just uh do some masks like our hands or something like yeah sure you know yeah yeah okay All right, cool. i'm gonna take my headset off to make this easier sure <laughs> nice we need our compilation of just random <laughs> shots so i have a, uh right. not now but i have an idea maybe for something we could do for some thumbnails i'll talk to you okay. about it later um right. but yeah uh one final thing um Today's today's Wednesday, so tomorrow's Thursday, meaning episode 14 of Campaign 3. But also, the final three episodes of The Legend of Vox Machina are dropping. Um, Going to do another watch party, so if, if you guys, anyone's interested, swing by. I'm sure we'll link it or something. Uh, but 6 p.m. Central on Thursday, so tomorrow, is when that'll be. Uh, so come through. Let's watch the final three episodes, and then we can get excited for episode 14 after that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of critical role in one day. It's good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be sad because it's our last uh, last Fox Machina to drop. Yep, yep. But I'm excited for uh, the, the finale. Also, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at the Pixelus, and uh, don't be a stranger. Yeah. So that's all we got. Alrighty, y'all. All right. See you See next ya. time.